are chicken facts. And we have found that there are complex issues in the poultry industry that cannot be unpacked in a tweet or a press release. So we have launched Chicken Bites, where our host Paul Matthew consults with experts on the poultry industry to explain some of the more complicated aspects of the industry. Join us as we debunk these mysteries. My name is Paul Matthew. I'm involved in the food supply industry. I am one of many people whose job it is to make sure that when you go to the supermarket to get your groceries, there's chicken on the shelf for you to buy. With me today, I have two specialists. I have Dr. Martin Cameron, Managing Director of Trade Research and Advisory. This is an initiative by the Northwest University and Mr. Donald McKay, Managing Director of XA International. Good day, gentlemen. So, Donald, if I can kick off with you, can you explain to our listeners what is anti-dumping? Obviously, we've heard a lot about anti-dumping in the media lately. As the import industry, we've obviously gone through a process. Can you just explain to us, give us a bit of background about what is anti-dumping? Sure. So dumping occurs when a company in, in a foreign country sells their goods to a different market at a price cheaper than they sell in their home market. So, for example, if you are producing a widget in China and you're selling it for 100 and you export that widget to South Africa at 75, you would be dumping. The dumping margin would be the difference between the 100 and the 75, which is 25. And you would express that as a percentage of the export price. So 25 over 75 would give you 33 and a third percent. So in my example, your anti-dumping duty is posed at 33 and a third percent. The reason you have this idea is visualize a factory for a moment that's running and you've, you've met the needs of your domestic market. And you decide that you've still got spare capacity in your factory. So without too much concern for what effect that would have on other markets, you, you keep running your factory and selling any price that would allow you to recover your immediate cost. And so the fear would be that, that very big markets or very big companies could overwhelm very small markets with their costs being covered in their home market. So that is that is the reason why anti-dumping exists. So Donald, as an import sector, we, we've been through this quite a few times. What do you think was the reasoning for the local poultry sector to, to bring on this new anti-dumping case, which really involves the European countries and Brazil? I would guess because they can more than anything else. So in order to impose an anti-dumping duty, there are three components that have to be in place. There needs to be dumping, as I've described. There needs to be material injury to the domestic industry. And the reason for that injury has to be because of the dumping and specifically not because of anything else. So this case is peculiar because there's, there's no evidence of any injury. So even if there is dumping, I'm not suggesting there is, even if there is dumping, it's hard to see how they could have argued even for the case to be initiated. Um, but of course they have. There's absolutely no injury, which sort of makes the, the, the final criteria, the question of causality, almost irrelevant because they, there would have to be injury for causality becomes a consideration. So there is no injury. They do make an allegation of dumping but even that seems to be relatively poorly founded. So I'm guessing they brought it because they could, and it's disruptive. It would serve to increase their margins, of course, remove competition. Yeah, I agree with you about it being so disruptive. 
So Martin, let's move over onto onto your side about on on the data because often we see that these decisions on anti-dumping really come around these uh, data reports we see, especially what we see out of out of SARS. Can you just quickly take us what are the three main, could I call it, platforms that one can view trade data and how does this all work? Thanks, Paul. I hope your your users have a good day and, and that they are very interested in this topic. The reality of the matter is that trade data is only a very small part of the picture. As Donald mentioned, um, it's about the producer cost and ultimately the sales cost in the target market. Now, in between, worldwide, the customs organizations in the world keep track of the data of movement of goods, and that's valued in certain ways. The major source for most people would be the UN, where they actually collect statistics from all the different countries in the world on an ongoing basis. But when you talk about dumping, one of the challenges that you have in practice is that obviously there are delays in reporting from formal sources, you know, from government sources, etc., to the UN and other platforms like the International Trade Center. They have a platform called TradeMap, where you can also go and look at the data. But there are various various points where you can look at the data. If you do a dumping investigation, um, Donald will tell you, you need to go to the source. Um, so in that case, you actually need to go to the individual countries and look at how they define the particular products and how they report on the particular data sets. And obviously, that would be the most up-to-date, most recent information that you can find from those sources because all the other platforms are third-party collectors and aggregators of the data. So they will not have the latest and the necessarily clearest views on the data. But as I said, be careful with data and specifically trade data in the context of dumping, because that's a small part of the bigger puzzle. And uh, maybe Donald can explain a little bit more about what are the different elements that they do look at when they do an investigation such as this. And I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes in. People simply look at the trade data and then they say, oh, based on the import or export number, you know, it looks like there's uh, something going on, which is not necessarily the reality of the matter when you actually consider all the pieces of data that you need to look at to inform an investigation such as that. So Martin, a really good example, I think, of what you're saying is what we recently saw in the media, an article by the economist Mark Schussler, where as the Association of Meat Imports and Exporters, we we reacted to that, that article. But I think that was a really clear uh, misleading the public about um, data and how data is viewed. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, that's an interesting use of words, misleading the public. It, it may or may not be misleading to the public. Um, it also may or may not cast doubt as to the capabilities of the individual that's actually looking at the content and whether they actually understand what they're busy with. The reality of the matter is that data, um, if you don't understand the detail and you don't look at the right elements, you will get into trouble very fast. And I think that's what happened in this case, where the particular economist looking at the topic only scratched the surface. And based on what he saw on the surface, he judged the whole book. And the reality of the matter is, whatever he wrote there, if you look at the numbers, the timing, the sources, etc., that he used, it all kind of added up to really 
create a skewed picture of what the reality is. And I think you did a good job in the article to actually delve into the detail and show the readers and for the listeners who have not read it, um, maybe you should supply the link that they go and look at what are the real nuances at the lower level of detail that one finds in these data sources. Now, that's just kind of somebody, shall we say, misusing or misunderstanding the data. The reality of the data is also that there are many practical issues that causes data to look different when you view it from different angles. As when you look at your account statement at the end of the month, you have an idea what you spent. The bank tells you what they recorded you spent. And if you have a disagreement, um, there could be a mismatch in terms of what you thought you'd spent versus what the bank tells you you've spent. The same goes for trade statistics. Countries report this from different angles to centralized sources. And at different times, at different exchange rates, on different classification basis. Um, so ultimately, you can easily end up with a misaligned or mismatched set of data that you analyze and then draw skew or totally incorrect conclusions. Can I ask you, Donald, with your experience of the last 17 years being in, in, this, in this industry, I mean, what is your view on it as well? Because you see how this skewed data is always on a media campaign to probably build up on, on the local producer side their, their anti-dumping application. And they sort of use this um, a, a data that, that, that is misrepresented uh, as their media campaign. Yeah, so I think I mean, it's just a really important issue that we, we, we don't impose an anti-dumping duty by taking a public vote. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a set of calculations, there's a process that all of this follows. So you, you can't argue your anti-dumping case through the media. There is ITAC, which, you, you, you know, the, the applicants brought their application. They filed a case that said, we, we think there's a case you need to investigate. Um, it, it's frustrating because you see comments in the media such as, uh, SAPA have, have proven that there is dumping. You know, no one has proven dumping at all. They've made an allegation of dumping. And a part of that is they, they did use trade data and they used the data from SARS. They did not use the data from the Brazilian authorities. Um, the only data source, if you are going to use data, it can be the data from SARS. They used the data to say, we think there is a case to be dealt with. And ITAC looked at it and said, there is a case to be investigated. Uh, this does not mean, again, that there is dumping, just that there is enough information they put in front of ITAC for ITAC to look at an investigation, which is currently, currently happening. The exporters and the importers have also submitted information to ITAC, which they are currently going through. And ultimately, they will arrive at a conclusion that conclusion will be based on the data in front of them. And it will not be based on the number of newspaper articles or the kind of back of the cigarette box calculations that guys have been doing and publishing in the media. There's an answer to the end of this. And that answer will be there either is or isn't dumping. There either is or isn't injury and a decision will be taken. Uh, the case could be terminated. Uh, duties could be imposed, whatever it may be. So if you think of the period preceding this, there's, there's been noise in the media for ages that dumping is occurring. 
but an application was not getting filed. And that's not helpful. The only point at which you can resolve the dispute is when it becomes a live case as we're dealing with. And then there will be an answer at the end of it. We'll have to see what that answer is. It's, it's way, way, way too early to determine that. But I would also argue that perhaps of far greater importance than the trade stats, which, as Martin says, is an important but only one component of many, or other issues to, to be given consideration. For example, the fraud at Daybreak, the fact that Daybreak have withdrawn from the application. What is the implication of Daybreak withdrawing on the injury information that's currently being considered? How much of the injury the, the industry alleges is being suffered was caused by the fraud rather than by, by imports, whether they are dumped or not? So there, there are many other components which I believe have a, have a far greater impact on the dumping case than the information that kind of sits in the media at the moment. I also think there is a question around the trade statistics. You know, are they accurate? Well, you know, to understand that, we, we've got to understand what they are. So you have a tariff code, which is a group of products. A tariff code never has a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the product. So you have a tariff code for chicken wings. And within that, you have all kinds of varieties of wings. The whole wing, a portion of the wing, the grade of the wing, they all sit in the same tariff code. And so within that code, you are going to have a, a, a fairly wide variety of product that makes up that single tariff code. When the dumping calculation is done, you do not do the calculation at the level of a wing. You do the dumping calculation of an A-grade wing to an A-grade wing, a B-grade to a B-grade, a drumette to a drumette, etc. So when you do your calculation, the, the trade statistics become completely unimportant because at that point, you're looking at the actual data of a producer. You're looking at the actual data of an importer and you are no longer working with trade stats. So another way to think of this, Paul, would be once the case has initiated, the trade statistics are unimportant and you work on the actual data of individual companies. The trade statistics are only important insofar as you, you need to establish a prima facie case. In, but once the starting gun has been fired, um, you, can, you can ignore the trade statistics for purposes of the anti-dumping action and they become utterly irrelevant at that point. And ITAC stops considering them. I'm not sure if that's a helpful answer. No, that's very helpful. So, you know, one has to then say that, um, you know, we, we hope that, that, that ITAC's processes are very fair um, and they um, really look at the, the exporters and the importers' uh, um, data with a fine to uh, uh, tooth comber, as I think as they, as they say. Gents, I want to thank you. Our time is up. Uh, we will definitely be scheduling another discussion, and maybe the next discussion is that we can unpack these tariff codes. People talk about a six-digit and against eight-digit, and maybe just to give our listeners a little bit more insight to that. So, Dr. Martin uh, Cameron and Mr. Donald McKay, thank you very much for your time and your expertise, and we look forward to chatting to you uh, in the near future. Thank you.
Thank you. Cheers, Paul. Thanks. Bye-bye.